Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there, welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And this is episode 117. And today I'm delighted to be uh, joined by Dufflin Lamas, who is a uh, recovery coach and a relationship coach and um, a writer and speaker and also a She Recovers designated coach as well, which is how we first met. Um, And yeah, really kind of excited to talk about um, Dufflin's story, but also kind of her work within relationship recovery, which is super interesting and and a huge part for a lot of people. So um, yeah, so we always just start with a check-in. So hi, Dufflin, how are you doing? Hi, hi. Um, Oh, well, I'm just really happy to be here today. It's snowing in Paris, believe it or not. Yeah, so it's a cold day, but I'm warm and cozy inside with my little cup of tea and excited to chat. Oh, amazing. It's not snowing here. I'm very jealous. I mean, obviously, it does. It rarely snows by the sea, but um, snow in Paris. I mean, how romantic. You can't get anything more romantic than that. Um, how long have you lived in Paris now? It's been about three and a half years. I think it'll be four years in March. Yeah, four years in March. Wow. So, yeah, just so if people, you know, to explain both uh, Dufflin and I obviously live in France and um, we met actually the first time in LA at the She Recovers conference um, and Dufflin did the most amazing monologue um, performance um, and also did a really, really brilliant workshop on kind of, uh, what was it? It was resilient, res- resilience games, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So br- bringing in those kind of theor- theatrical parts to, you know, working with um, recovery, which was super interesting and, and brilliant. So, yeah, we always start with a little bit about your own journey to sobriety and recovery, if you if you want to tell listeners a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, well, for me, I think I always sort of had this identity as a party girl. You know, I grew up in a home where like my house was the one with the beer cans on the lawn. Um, so it was part of like our family identity, you know, and, and, and like, the bigger the problem, the bigger the swagger, you know? So it, it was very much about that. And and I remember being a kid and writing like party till you puke on my binder. I was 12, you know, like what, what is that? Um, but uh, by the time I got to college, my, my drinking had escalated to the point where a boyfriend broke up with me over my drinking. And I was madly in love with this boy. So I decided I would try to quit drinking so that I could get him back. So the relationships and the substances were always connected for me, um, even from the outset. And so I tried a couple of times to quit drinking and it was a struggle, you know, because I, I remember I would tell my friends, well, I'm not drinking tonight, so I'll be the designated driver. And then I would get drunk and we'd have to take a cab home from Tijuana. And that was fun. Uh, so, you know, um, but I remember I was home for the Christmas holiday. It was my junior year of college. And I went to this party and I had a glass of champagne in my hand. It was midnight. And I put that glass of champagne down and I said, that's my last drink. And it was. 
And I haven't had a drink since New Year's Eve, 1993. Uh, Wow. Yeah, which I was, I mean, I was impressed, Um, (laughs) you know, and and I did that on my own. And to be honest, and and I've heard y'all talk a lot about early intervention, and this was definitely early intervention. I was not an alcoholic. I was what I would call a problem drinker. Um, I drank and I had problems. So but I was well on my way to becoming an alcoholic. Had I continued drinking, like that was definitely, you know, the trajectory. So um, what happened for me was that 11 months later, I had graduated from college. I moved to Savannah, Georgia. That same boyfriend who I did get back came to Savannah, Georgia to visit me where I was living at that point. And we were out on the highway one day. We were driving down this you know, little two lane highway, a dog jumped out in the road and he swerved to avoid hitting the dog. We hit the other car head on. Um, I was paralyzed from the waist down. The two men in the other car died and I ended up in the hospital. You know, thank God I had some amazing doctors who put my spine back together and, and I can walk because of that. But what happened for me was that I left the hospital with a bunch of prescriptions And I was already smoking pot, you know, because this boyfriend smoked pot. So whatever he did, I did. Um, But the prescriptions really took me down another pathway. So I continued on that pathway for about eight years until I found cocaine, which just brought me to my knees uh, pretty quickly, you know. And um, at that point, I I had moved to Hollywood And I was out one night, pretty jacked up. And on my way home, I drove past this gas station and I saw the cutest cowboy I had ever seen. And I don't know about you, but me, like cowboys and firemen, you know, (laughs) it's my kryptonite. So I saw this man and he had the boots and the hat and like, oh, he was gorgeous. Like he's just a beautiful man. So I pulled up into the to get my gas, which I didn't even really need gas. I just wanted to meet him. And I rolled my window down and I waited. And lo and behold, the cowboy came to my window, asked me for a pen. I gave him a pen and my phone number. And I went out on a few dates with him. And he shared with me that he was in recovery from both alcohol and drugs. And he talked a little bit about it. And, you know, and I was definitely intrigued, but it wasn't until he stopped returning my phone calls that I went to the recovery rooms where I knew I could find him. So I was not looking for recovery. I was looking for Pete, the cowboy, (laughs) Um, but I found recovery. Uh, So really, you know, it, it, for me, I was always chasing love, but that's what got me the recovery that I have now. And, and actually in the end, it did get me love. It just wasn't, didn't look the way I thought it would look. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. And um and I love that the fact that to kind of piece it together of like what came first, you know, because I don't think a lot of people have that kind of perception of yeah, yeah, okay, like I mean, I certainly had that when I went to She Recovers that it was like, okay, I'm not I'm not recovering from alcohol. Like that was just something that was part of it. Like I'm I'm in recovery from trauma. Like that's what it was. And that was the big thing that I learned when I was there. Um and and yeah, piecing that together that actually, you know, it was it was it was about love and not about, you know, the behavior, but they they kind of mesh together. Um so so I presume so, you know, the big part of your recovery has been through the 12 steps. 
Initially, yes. I, I yeah. think for, for the first few years, that was where I focused. Um, and, you know, I'm a big believer in like, like I'm equal opportunity recovery. If it, if it sounds good, I'll do it. So I went out and I did, you know, I did the workshops for calling in the one I, I didn't do a landmark forum, but I went to the like little lecture about it or whatever. And I did ecstatic dance and I did Kundalini and I tried yoga and, you know, and I did therapy. I did EMDR therapy for two years, which was brilliant actually for me. It's not for everybody, but it was brilliant for me. Um, you know, and I did Tantra for about seven years and really got into that. That's a big part of my recovery still. Um, that's been really, really good for me. So, you know, I just went out and did everything that I could find. And honestly, it was, I got to about eight years of recovery and I kind of hit a wall, Mm. you know, where I just was like, is this all there is? And that was when I found meditation. Um, you know, I met this woman, she's my meditation teacher today and, and kind of my coach. And, you know, I've had a daily meditation practice now for 10 years and that has changed me just as much as letting go of substances, to be honest. That's interesting. Tell me about, um, ecstatic dance. I'm like, I wrote that down. I was like, Oh, I want a bit of that. (laughs) It's super fun. It's, you know, I think it started with the five rhythms and Gabrielle Roth. Uh, okay. which is basically they take you through a process um, using these different rhythms. And so it's a guided dance meditation, if you will. And and it's really beautiful. And for me, it just helped me feel free in my body. You know, we talk about being uncomfortable in our own skin, and I definitely felt that way. And sometimes I still get that way if I don't do it. Um you know, I feel like there's a, there's a big buzzword now of embodiment, you know, Mm. and what does that mean? Right. That's something that has been a big part of my recovery because for me, a lot of it, and I, and I've heard a lot of people say this too, is, is it's, we feel uncomfortable in our skin and we want to get out of ourselves. And so embodiment for me, it's about getting back in myself and in my skin, being comfortable in my skin and being with the sensations in my body so that I can have a full human experience, so that I can be fully alive. Because I'm not like, look, sobriety is one thing, recovery is a whole other thing. And if I'm going to give up alcohol, which was, I love me some red wine. Like, I love that. If I'm going to let go of that thing that I love, I need something else that I love to grab onto, you know? And so this, you know, whether it was kundalini or ecstatic dance or tantra, um, these have all been different ways for me to experience that and to experience the same sort of, um, I don't want to say high, but it is sort of a high, you know, mm. but it's a natural high. It's like that, that oblivion, but it's the oblivion of being fully present rather than being dissociated. Yeah. Tell me about Tantra because I don't know much about it. So I'm, I'm intrigued to know how that plays a part in recovery it's funny I feel like tantra is such a mystery there's as many definitions for it as there are people willing to give you a definition so I don't know if I can give a definition but I can certainly explain sort of my experience of it I studied with um a neo-tantra teacher named Don Cartwright in Los Angeles and actually ended up as an apprentice to her for a year 
And for me, it was really, you know, her style is very particular. It's a combination of sort of breath work, meditation, um, ancient, you know, Indian practice. Um, the original Tantra yoga comes from India, and it is a type of yoga, essentially. And there are even within that different um, lineages. And, you know, for me, it just really was a way to bring my spiritual experience into my body and to have a spiritual experience as a human being, but not, not separate from, not like out there in the, you know, because I say, I say the sunlight of the spirit is not somewhere out there. It's inside you. Mm. So that's what it's about for me is just sort of not, not only knowing that and thinking that, but being that and feeling that and having an experience of myself as a spiritual creature. And certainly it has to do with sexuality because that's part of what happens in your body, mm. you know, um, not incidentally. So. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Cause I was um, talking with Rose, you know, obviously she does the sober sex podcast and, you know, about intimacy and, and your episode was fantastic. Um, and, you know, and it's something that I really, really struggle to even start to have these conversations because she was like, will you come on the podcast? And I was like, um, not, not, not yet. Um, but there's certainly something, you know, when it's like when you're talking to people or you're coaching clients and it's like, you know, what's, what's your gut saying? Like, what is there that little thing that feels like a bit of a stretch, you know, and, and certainly for me, these conversations is like, I'm kind of intrigued, but I'm also terrified. Um, yeah, the idea of being in my body is just like, you know, when you've been disassociated for so many years. Um, so yeah, why are relationships so hard in recovery? And why, you know, why love? Why this subject for you? Why is it? Why is that your kind of passion and the thing that you like to work in most? Oh, I feel like it all goes back to attachment for me. And this is a big part of my training. I, I believe and others may not believe this. That's okay. This is what I believe is that most if not all addictions and a lot of mental health issues are actually based in attachment disturbances. And so that's largely what I've studied. And I think part of the reason why people often relapse in whatever their recovery is about, why they have a hard time getting to the next level of recovery um, is because their attachment system gets activated, that old wound gets triggered, and they're not able to tolerate the feelings. And that's totally understandable, actually, if they haven't healed that. So, and for some people, you know, um, having a community and doing the steps or doing whatever kind of work you do in your community is enough. And for other people, it's not. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Uh, and, and I sought all sorts of, you know, other things. And when I finally started to understand attachment and to work on that, a lot of things changed for me because I was able to see, okay, you know, here I am, like, I'll tell you, my, my partner and I, I, I have a partner now, yay, because of recovery. <laughs> before, I mean, there was just no way. And I was single for my first 12 years. 
um, that I was alcohol free. Yeah. And it kind of sucked. I'll tell you. And I didn't really want to be single and I was dating, you know, and I had so sort of entanglements, uh, Mm. you know, I wouldn't call them relationships, but I couldn't maintain anything because I was so wounded that number one, I would choose people who would confirm my negative opinion of myself. I would choose people based on my my attachment wounds because I was still trying to get it right. I was still trying to correct something, you know? And so I was choosing people who were never going to be able to be a real partner to me. But also once I got into it, even if I chose somebody who was okay, like, ah, I had this huge odyssey with jealousy, you know, when I first started dating the, the, the man I'm with now, and it was so painful. And I felt like I was going to die. Like he would talk to another girl and I was like, I'm going to die. And, and I would weep and I would, you know, plead and I would punish. And it was just not pretty. <laughs> God bless him. You know, he stuck with me through that. And, and because of a lot of help that I had, and because I began to understand the attachment wound, I was able to do it a different way and say to him, you know, I would, I would soothe myself firstly, you know, I would do whatever I needed to do. I would pray, I would meditate, I would do some um, embodiment work, you know, whether it was Tantra or sometimes just shaking your body will help um, to release whatever was going on. If I couldn't manage it on my own, I, I was able to go to him and say, Hey, I feel jealous. I feel insecure. I'm really scared. Can you just give me some reassurance and a hug? And he would do it, you know? Um, it was tough at first. He didn't really like it. And he was like, what, why I'm not doing anything. And he would get defensive, you know, but eventually he was able to actually give me the reassurance and we were able to work through that together. Um, but in the past that would have just, I would have just spun out, you know, and it was getting harder and harder to get through that because I was like, this is never going to work. Why would I stay sober if I don't get to have that, Mm. you know, screw it. So I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, like I, like you were saying before that relationships are the hardest thing in recovery because, because of that, you know, and, and that, that wound. What if that's just not even, that's a fantasy. There is no right. There is no perfect. There just is what there is. Mm. And, and, you know, giving ourselves permission to be human and showing up authentically and doing the best that we can, I feel like, yeah, that's 100% where it's at. And, and honestly, to a certain extent, it's the same way with all love, whether, you know, whether it's about your child or your parent or your partner, you know, or your friends or whoever it is that you love, um, it's not, it's not always going to be perfect. Like, yes, we're going to make mistakes. I had this best friend in high school and being the young love addict that I was, um, when I got a boyfriend, you know, and, and she and I were inseparable up to this point, I got a boyfriend and suddenly I was inseparable with him and I completely replaced her and she was pissed at me and didn't speak to me for three years. Rightly so. Right. That was a, that was a major wound and it was hard. And yes, it can be healed. You know, we did heal that and we're great friends again today, you know, but it happens in all of our relationships where we screw up. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how can you kind of 
how can you have empowering relationships? How can you work to, yeah, I guess, develop secure attachment bonds with people that are healthy? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the question of the day. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, just to answer that in a few words, Dufflin, if you... If you... <laughs> I'm going to take my jacket off for this one. So, I mean... <laughs> I feel like it starts with, as you were saying, community. It starts with not trying to do it all on your own and and accepting that you might make mistakes and that if you make mistakes, it's okay. And showing up and, and having what I call controlled vulnerability, which is I'm not going to vomit all over you, all of my problem all day long, but, but like what I was talking about when I'm having my insecure, jealous rages, which still come upon me, not like they used to be, you know, I think it, it used to be like the volume was 10 and now it's down to like maybe a three. Um, but it still happens at times and, and being vulnerable enough to just speak my truth to the other person is huge. That's huge. That's what real intimacy is. And I feel like we begin practicing that intimacy in groups, in support groups and whatever kind of community works for us. And I'm so grateful that, you know, when whatever 18 years ago, when I first entered recovery and even whatever it was 25 years ago, when I first quit drinking, there weren't a lot of options. I'm so grateful. There's so many options now. So you can find the group that, that like makes you sparkle and, um, and really getting involved with that because that's where you get the opportunity to practice this controlled vulnerability in an environment where you're going to have it mirrored back to you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It makes so much sense. Yeah. And then once you get that kind of confidence up, then you can start to build out that into other relationships and look what's, what's working for you and what's not. And that's part of the challenge, right? Isn't it? It's like suddenly you kind of stop drinking or whatever your kind of addictive behavior is. And then you go, Ooh, <laughs> the people around me, mm, not sure that they're the best people for me. And then it's like, well, now what do I do? You know, and it is, it's that first step. You've got that community to kind of practice and play at your level of vulnerability. And then you can go, you can take those steps to kind of change your exterior world. Absolutely. So, yeah. And I, and I feel like a big part of that too is, developing what people call boundaries and and you can call them limits or you can call them fences or you can call them rules or whatever you want to call them but knowing as you said what works for you and what doesn't and then being willing to honor that there's some research has been done by Brene Brown where she talked about she interviewed um some holy people they were rabbis and nuns and priests and she asked them how do you have such compassion for people? How do you stay in that place? And without fail, they all answered with some version of, I have boundaries. And that's wow. how you stay in compassion with other people, which is how you stay in love, right? Rather, rather than um, living a life where you fall in love, you can sort of stand in love and be in that place and coming from that place but in order to do it, you have to know your own limits. So interesting. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you work. If people want to work with you, what are, what are the areas of work that you do? I mean, I know that you work in many different roles, um, 
But yeah, tell us a little bit about your work. Um, so I'm, as you said, a speaker, writer, and relationship and recovery coach. And I feel like my primary focus now is inspiring other women in recovery using both my education and my experience. And I do that through one-to-one coaching, group facilitation, literature lectures, online courses. My object now really is to give my clients a container in which they can develop the tools they need to be secure in both recovery and relationships. Um, And so, you know, I have have a website, it's dufflin.com. And people can find out more about me there. I have a video blog with Amy Dresner, which is super fun because she's funny and and charming to work with. And it's also really super vulnerable. I mean, she goes for the straight dirt, which I love. Um, like she's not holding back, you guys. So so it's really beautiful to see someone doing the work around relationships and recovery. Um, and and I do a lot of stuff on my Instagram. Um, and I, actually, I have a free Valentine's Day workshop coming up, um, which is uh, how to use the four A's to find your partner by next Valentine's Day. So this one is for the single ladies. <laughs> it is women only. Um, a lot of my groups are are women only just because that's my jam. I love working with women in recovery. And um and that you can go to my Instagram, which is just at Dufflin. I'm like Rumpelstiltskin. If you can spell my name, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just D-U-F-F-L-Y-N on Instagram and um, tap the link tree. And that will take you to lots of different fun things. And the first thing on that list is that free workshop on Valentine's Day. So what is it? The four A's. Are we allowed to know what the four A's are or is that the do you have to sign up? <laughs> I'll tell you briefly, it's attractive, appropriate, available, and abundant. Mm, Very simple, shortest dating cheat sheet ever. But we'll go a lot deeper into that and, you know, what each one really means. And, you know, it's, it's meant to be a little bit more interactive workshop. So bring a paper and pen and be prepared to take some notes. And, you know, I feel like it's, it's an opportunity. I think it can really be a turning point for someone if they're willing to sit down and just start thinking about this stuff. Because the truth is, whatever, whatever recovery, whatever relationship we're talking about, it all starts with you. Mm. You know, like we talked about intimacy and we talked about boundaries, like, yes, you need to do that in relationship with other people, but it starts with you and your willingness, as we said, to be vulnerable. So this is an opportunity to do that. Oh, I love it. And um, so, you know, obviously we talk a lot about self-care on the podcast. And so what are your sort of self-care go-tos? You mentioned meditation. Um, yeah. <laughs> what are the other what are the other things that kind of keep you well I suppose I'm a big fan of the meditation I do every morning I do I do my meditation I do about 30 minutes of meditation in the morning um I do a reading from some sacred book or other and I dance to one song a day it's uh, this is part of the embodiment practice. I'm getting back into my tantra. You know, it's been hard because of the pandemic. I can't go in person, but I love these things. You know, these exercises, and they can be really simple. Like I, I remember the first tantra class I went to. I was terrified, and I walked into the room, and the teacher was standing there, and I was like, "Oh, she thinks she's pretty badass. She is." <laughs> <laughs> I did not know at the time. And so what she had us do is she paired us up in um, partners of three and we um, 
one at a time, one person would be blindfolded and there would be one person at one end of the room, one person at the other end of the room. And um, the blindfolded person was guided. So they would just sort of push you when it was time to start. And then you were to walk across the room with your blindfold on, trusting that these two people on either side of you were going to get you there. So it was an, an exercise in trust. You oh know? my God. Yeah. My, my like anxiety levels are like 15,000 right now. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Oh my God, I was terrified. But you know, after seven years of doing stuff like that, I am a lot more partnerable. I am a lot more available in my relationship. It's terrifying. You know, I remember in my Tantra class, there's this guy who's, he's a pretty big actor in Los Angeles. You know, he was on a major series and and he would come to the classes and, and people are like, Oh, we admire you so much. It must be so scary being on camera with all those famous people. And he's like, are you kidding? This is the scary stuff. This right here is what terrifies me. Yeah. You know, well, yours well done. I mean, you're super brave, but I get it. I get that. I get why it's so important. I get that. Yeah. It's the next step of, um, of being able to trust yourself, you know, when you can trust your body. Exactly, exactly. To to trust myself, to take care of myself is one of my major, major goals in recovery. And I have to say too, I think you're really brave because, because I really, you know, again, I, I just think it's really, really brave to be a parent. And, you know, and each of us is choosing where we're going to be brave, you know, but but nonetheless, like one is not greater than the other. Like, I think that's just uh, I I admire it so much. Oh, thank you. There was one other thing that I wanted to come back to when you mentioned shaking your, your body. And like, because I think it's really important. I don't think people know enough about this in terms of that being a really good recovery tool just to be able. So, yeah, that's kind of the work of like Peter Levine and things like that that so could you just explain um what you meant by that um before we kind of round up yeah so the shaking is um it's just a really really simple way to let go of the trauma in your body because you know like Bessel van der Kolk says the body keeps the score a hundred percent you know there are many times lots of things our body is holding on to that the mind doesn't know anything about and there's also something called pre-verbal trauma which is to say if it happened to you before you were able to speak you can't heal it by talking about it uh and so you know and and there are lots of other things like for me with this car accident that I had um it was physical trauma uh, you know, and, and healing that for me required doing some physical work. So the shaking is really simple. You just stand, you know, with your feet solidly planted on the ground and you shake your body from your core and non-rhythmically, you can put some music on. It's better to have music that doesn't have words. Um, and just for five minutes, shake your body. And there are, you know, lots of different ways of doing it, but it's a kind of thing where like you see an animal that um has been attacked or something you know and and they survive and they're walking away and then they shake it off that's what they're doing they're releasing the trauma and we all need to do that otherwise it's in there and and it causes problems yeah and you know and that's i think it's that thing that people don't realize that you know everyday life is impactful you know and so as you're saying it's like we're not necessarily reading the fact that we're having these kind of 
impactful experiences, you know, being in a pandemic, you know, arguments with people, um, you know, trying to cross the road and there was a car and you pull yourself back all of a sudden, you know, all of these tiny things, you know, if you can, as you say, like listen to a song once a day and dance, you know, and shake your body, like you're really, really helping your nervous system to be well. Um, and, you know, and it's such kind of practical thing. Um, and, you know, so thank you for kind of, yeah, the, the embodiment stuff is, is so important. And I think the more we talk about it, the more people can kind of look after themselves in a way that they, they, you know, when you're numbing out with alcohol, essentially what you're doing is just trying to ground yourself right in the moment. Um, and you can, if you just look after your nervous system and shake it out, then you're going to be able to feel better and not be like, you know, running through the day, ignoring all those red flags getting all these little impactful little traumas on your system and then going ah fuck it like I can't cope and then you know just going back to that behavior that sort of no longer serves you anymore so exactly it's exactly that I like to say it's like each of us has a cup and all those little things like you were saying with the car almost runs over you and that's some drops in the cup you have a fight with your husband that's some drops in the cup someone's rude to you at the grocery store happens in France that's a drop in the cup (laughs) 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 right um you have to go to the DMV even worse in the United States so there's some drops in the cup and um and if we don't drain that cup it gets full and when it gets full we end up having anxiety attacks. That's your cup running over, right? So we need to do things that that drain the cup, whether it's shaking your body or going to yoga or sleeping or co-regulating with a friend. Like there are lots of different ways to do it. But as you say, we each find our own way to do that. Mm. Love it. Thank you. It's been so interesting and informative. We always finish with a tip of the day and your reason to love being sober. So what would be your one tip? And we've oh, given I so many, this. but <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like one tip, and this was given to me by um, by a girlfriend a long time ago, and I've used it ever since. I feel like it's saved my relationship, and it's just super simple. Um, I write down every day five things my partner did right today. So good for your relationship because it's easy to focus on the things that they did wrong. But if I sit down and write down five things my partner did right, it can kind of give me a new perspective, quick and easy. Oh, I love that, especially when we're stuck together in these challenging times. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding, honey. Oh, for real. (laughs) And what's your reason to, to love being sober? I feel like for me, being sober has been my opportunity to return to my authentic self. And I just, I just get to be me today. Yay. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, you know, guys, if you're listening and you're interested in, you know, inquiring around your sort of relationships and that that free course is just a wonderful opportunity to kind of get to know Dufflin's work she's a brilliant facilitator in groups and workshops and to work with one-to-one so yeah go and check her out I'm really intrigued by your vlog it's very modern of you to do a (laughs) vlog so yeah um, and if you don't know Amy Dresner she's hilarious um person so definitely go and check that out and we'll put all the links below um and you know um look after yourselves this week you know if you're immediately concerned about your drinking please do reach out go and see your doctor um soberistas has an 
uh, anonymous ask the doctor service so that is a brilliant resource to just check out what's going on for you um, and yeah if you've got any suggestions for topics for the podcast get in touch um, and yeah look after yourself and we'll be back next week for more chat so thanks so much Dufflin oh thank you sweetheart bisous bisous <laughs>